Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. The People's Bank of China pumps more money into the financial system as rates jump. China banks are now below book value. European and emerging market stocks fall overnight. And Deutsche Bank leads banks lower after posting a surprise quarterly loss. Uh, let me begin by taking you through the drivers of the fourth quarter loss we've just announced. Um, the core bank underlying profit was 1.3 billion euros. However, we saw a total of 2.5 billion of P&L impacts arising predominantly from implementation of our strategy. That is Anshu Jain, the co-CEO of Deutsche Bank. The bank said legal costs also dragged down earnings. So a little bit more on that later. And with Davos set to get underway in Switzerland, how does the organizer Klaus Schwab think we're doing after the financial crisis? I would say we are like someone who has to learn to run again, but has a big backpack uh, on his shoulders because we still uh, have to carry around uh, a large proportion of debt. And nobody knows really how the deleveraging will work out. He's rather pleased, actually, that the Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani, will attend and may meet U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry with uh, Davos uh, set to get uh, underway. We'll be uh, hearing a little bit more from him a bit later on in this program. In our featured segments, China's Internet giants, they're emerging as global leaders akin to the likes of Facebook, Twitter and Google. Uh, we will discuss the prospects for gaming, for social networks and e-commerce with Frederick Okvich founder at China RAI. Also, urban planners are switching to a new kind of thinking, a new way of thinking. They're looking to develop happiness in the context of urban living. These include things like living closer to work, social bonding, and much shorter commutes and more density uh, in the cities. Author and former Hong Kong resident Charles Montgomery will join us for that discussion. We also have Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting on Market Strategy and uh, we'll look inside that um, that backpack that Klaus Schwab said uh, we're carrying that's still kind of uh, heavy. Markets now, um, the Nikkei is up at 68 points at f- uh, right now trading at 15,710. That's a gain of four-tenths of 1%. In Australia, the ASX 200 is slightly lower. And looking at Seoul, the Kospi is up one point at 1955. The dollar yen, 104.25, so very little change there. The euro is trading at 1.354 U.S. dollars, while the pound is now at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 74 cents. Very good morning to you. Uh, Thanks a lot for joining us. The time, six and a half minutes now after uh, eight o'clock. Let's go back to Klaus Schwab, the organizer of Davos. What does he hope will be achieved this year? I hope that uh, people come out of the meeting and we have done some kind of rebooting. Instead of looking only at the crisis, they look also at the longer term challenges which we have in the world. And here, particularly the need for closer global cooperation to address uh, social inclusion, to address the creation of jobs, to look at the environmental issues, because I feel that has been neglected over the last years. That's my wish. And what specifically does he hope for with regard to Iran being there? If uh, we have progress in terms of the nuclear agreements, if uh, this leads afterwards into a much more constructive role of Iran, 
uh, in the Middle East and um, also to an improvement of Iran's relations with the so-called uh, six countries uh, negotiating with uh, uh, Iran at this moment. Uh, Klaus Schwab, the organizer of Davos, and those meetings get underway shortly this week, starting tomorrow. Well, China's central bank pouring more money into the financial system. It also expanded a lending facility to include smaller banks. Uh, Cash demand before the Chinese New Year drove money market rates up the most in about seven months. The PBOC said that smaller and medium-sized banks in some 10 regions would be able to tap the facility for loans of up to two weeks on a trial basis. European stock markets fell overnight, fell slightly. Investors chewing over the mixed data coming out of China yesterday. And Deutsche Bank led banks lower after posting a surprise quarterly loss. The stock's Europe 600 was down a scant 0.1%. Shares of Deutsche Bank, though, down 5.4%. And other banks slipped as well. Deutsche Bank reported a pre-tax loss for the fourth quarter as it took charges for valuation adjustments and litigation costs. We get more now from Anshu Jain, that co CEO, he paints a fairly rosy picture despite the loss. When we view this over a 10-year perspective, 2013 actually is one of our strongest operating results of the past decade. Very close, in fact, to the all-time high achieved in 2006. As I said already, we're proud of what the team has achieved. It has been a difficult year with low interest rates and low volumes in many areas, of course, accompanied with the pressure of internal reorganization and dealing with legacy issues. Additionally, the Wall Street Journal reported that the German banking regulator Boffin is sending investigators into Deutsche Bank as part of an international currency rigging probe. U.S. stock markets were closed for the Martin Luther King Day holiday. Gold is trading now at $1,255.30. That's up three forty. Gold, uh, as we've mentioned, um, most of these programs here of late, gold has been doing quite well in the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, rising up from uh, in the high 1100s to now trading around the mid-1200s. Oil now $106.35. And we say good morning to Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting, who joins us here in our studios. Peter? Good morning, Brian. Good morning, yeah. So at the moment... Um, What's your outlook? How do you how do you feel about uh, about markets? Particularly, let's start with Hong Kong and China. Well, a lot of focus on China, particularly with the the U.S. being closed overnight and those um, GDP figures that came out um, yesterday. I think they showed a, a couple of things. First of all, um, very very close now to the the government's official growth target of seven and a half percent. But I think we're going to have to expect this to fall further over the coming uh, coming months and maybe move closer to seven percent. So, what's going to fall there? For because they haven't come out, I don't think, for the forecast for the next year yet. Is that going to be lower or just overall growth lower? I think overall growth definitely lower. I mean, we've seen the slowing down in industrial production, slowing down in retail sales, um, and, and also that some of the reforms that the Chinese government is putting in place, which are for the long-term benefit of um, the economy, are naturally going to slow down growth in the shorter term. So things like the liberalisation of interest rates, we're seeing rates um, sort of move up. We're seeing less direct stimulus from the government into the economy, which was one of the reasons why we are seeing um, slower GDP growth. So I think we're going to have to get used to that in the short term as the price to pay for the long-term sort of restructuring and reforming of the economy. Do you think a deeper slowdown might um, set them back on their targets and maybe they would slow down the reform effort? 
I think the government has no choice but to continue um, down down this road. I mean, if you look at, for example, things like um, banks, 95% of bank lending is to state-owned um, enterprises. That starves um, small companies of credit that they need to grow. So this has to be um, reformed. You know, the thing about the banks and the creation of all these shadow banks, you can kind of understand it because uh, uh, the banks have uh, a, you know, they have a a set amount on the one hand. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, they they can allow uh, rates to move. So what what has happened is they've they've taken a lot of money out of the normal banking system and put it into the shadow banking system. Uh, Isn't you know, that's just something that's orchestrated by the government because it has a clamp on on, um, you know, how much um, they can actually pay depositors. Yeah, and, and in fact, it's in the shadow banking system that we're now starting to see problems. It looks like, you know, we're going to see one of these um, one of these products, $500 million wealth management product, probably default um, at the end of this month. And this was sold by ICBC to many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of its investors. So we are starting to see some of those stresses in the shadow banking system coming back to, to haunt us. And that's where the, the big problems are, are really arising. And it's very poorly regulated. Do you think well. it spins out of their control? Or do you think that they will allow a certain number of defaults to test how the market is doing, just like they have uh, allowed money market rates to, to go up and then they pump money in like they did yesterday? I think they will allow them to default. I think they have to allow them um, to default. The problem is, is there a contagion effect from that? You, this is one of those things where once you start, you can never be totally sure where this is all going to lead to and where it's going to end because, you know, a lot of these products are uh, sort of the loans are interlinked and, um, you know, it starts off a chain reaction. Yes, and emerging markets uh, generally were down, although not by a lot. The uh, MSCI was down uh, 0.1%, but feeding off of uh, the slightly weaker growth in China, uh, other emerging markets have their own problems. Uh, would you stay away from emerging markets or do you think they show value now? Well, last year was a very bad year for emerging markets. I mean, compared to the developed markets, emerging markets had one of their worst um, or biggest underperformances we've seen for a, a long, long time. So fundamentally, if you compare them to sort of valuations in the developed markets, they do actually look quite cheap. But you have to say there's a reason why this is happening. I mean, a number of them have political problems. We're seeing this in Turkey. We're seeing it in Thailand. We're seeing it in the Ukraine, which are really depressing their currencies. Um, A number of these countries still have high levels of debt um, and, you know, are very dependent on foreign inflows of money to to be able to service that uh, that, that debt. So is the key to avoid those those companies that have, um, you know, too much debt denominated in foreign currency and and also the ones that rely uh, on... uh, an injection of uh, of new funds, and if their currency is going down, that hurts them. You avoid those, Indonesia, I, Turkey, places like that? I would avoid them, and there are others that, uh, you know, maybe where you look at the emerging market economies, and they are not so dependent upon, um, you know, foreign inflows of money to, you know, to basically service their debt. So, you know, countries like Brazil, for example, are less dependent than, say, Turkey and sort of Thailand and Indonesia. You must be licking your chops with the movement in gold of, of late. You're, you're, you're something of a gold uh, bug, aren't you? Well, I, I, you know, long term, I, I would, I, I'm adamant that you have to have a certain part of your portfolio in gold. And I mean, you know, at uh, you know at twelve hundred, you know, gold is to me an attractive, uh, an attractive investment. So, how much of your portfolio should be in gold? I, I would, you know, for me personally, I'd have at least sort of you know twenty percent in gold at the moment at these types of levels. Wow, twenty percent's a lot. A lot of people would say, you know, maybe five, ten percent. But no, uh, I'm, I'm overweight. But you're yeah, you're strong on gold. What about silver? 
No, well, you know, silver I'm less keen on. I, I think, you know, given that there is still a lot of, um, you know, sort of money printing going on in the world, I, I would definitely look at sort of gold. So do you look at gold as insurance or do you look at it as um, a kind of – you know, cool speculative investment as well? What do you, how do you look at it? Well, I, I look at it as an alternative to paper currencies, which are, are being debased and, and devalued by central banks uh, around the world. Um, and, you know, it's uh, at the end of the day, you know, there is, um, you know, th- there is still a natural linkage, even if there isn't a formal linkage between the worth of currencies and, um, and, and gold. And if they're being debased, then uh, maybe you want to have an alternative in mind as well. So in that case, it's kind of like insurance, I guess, or yep. it's another currency. It's a store of value. And, yep. and for those people who do think of it as an insurance, uh, you know, you don't expect to make money on your insurance, do you? you know, you're not really, you don't buy, um, you know, fire insurance and expecting to actually trade it up at some point and suck money out. You're protecting yourself against um, some sort of calamity. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there's no yield on gold at all. So that, that's exactly the reason why you do hold it. That's the one way you can sort of defend uh, no yield. Yeah. Is that, well, you know, you don't get a yield out of your insurance policy really either. Although actually uh, depends on the, on the type of uh, insurance policy. I suppose uh, with whole insurance you do, but it's not very good. Uh, <laughs> it's not a very good way to uh, invest money. Oh, I'll probably um, anger the uh, insurance people with that. All right. Let's play another clip from Klaus Schwab uh, just for fun. We can comment about that because he was asked about, you know, what his his biggest concern is now, Um, you know, with all the uh, big uh, guests that come into uh, to Davos for, um, you know, the meetings in Switzerland, uh, there may be a lot achieved. But then he was also asked, what's your biggest concern? My my foremost concern is the lack of global cooperation. It's the lack of trust in uh, leaders, because if we want to make progress, A, we need uh, cooperation amongst the leaders and we need multi-stakeholder cooperation. We need public-private cooperation uh, to address the issues. Uh, And only if we address long-term issues in a constructive mood, we will have a return of trust. And that's absolutely essential. So more trust between the public and private uh, sectors. Uh, Do you see that happening? Uh, Are you happy with um, how we've come out of the crisis? Well, we've we've certainly come out of the crisis in in stronger shape in some economies in the world. I mean, there's no doubt that in the U.S., you know, the the economy has strengthened and we're getting back to more normalized um, sort of rates of, uh, you know, growth and even sort of, you know, unemployment is coming down towards the the sort of the target um, sort of level. I still don't think there's a a lot of coordination and and cooperation um, sort of between um, sort of governments around the world in terms of how they regulate the banking system to make sure that we don't have another crisis somewhere um, sort of down the road. And Klaus Schwab didn't mention, you know, the, the one concern that does seem to be, um, you know, rearing its head at the moment, that's deflation. Um, yeah. You know, are we sinking into, you know, maybe a period of deflation rather than, you know, inflation? Because we're seeing around the world, you know, central banks struggling to meet their inflation targets, even in Japan, where, you know, that's probably the only market in the co- economy in the world where it is moving up. It's still not getting close to where, you know, the Bank of Japan would 
like to see it. And elsewhere, particularly in the Eurozone, it's falling. You know, we're at an all-time low now um, in the in the Eurozone. Uh, we're below the target rate in the US. Um, maybe that's a concern that we're going to start seeing playing out more this year. Okay, and just a final quick question before we move on to the next segment. Uh, what's your best investment idea at the moment? Well, you know, I'm, I'm still very nervous about um, sort of equities. I, I still feel that, you know, wherever we look, um, we've seen in the US, you know, um, valuations be driven by PE expansions rather than um, real sort of earnings growth. And I'm wondering that, um, you know, maybe we're starting to see the top of this, some of these markets. And I, I would definitely keep away from developed market equities, emerging market equities, as we talked about, I'm very concerned about. So. Uh. And just briefly, I'm your former banker. I was having uh, cocktails with a banker yesterday, and uh, he said uh, he's been in the business 40 years. If he was coming out now and advising young people, he would, he would tell them not to go into banking. Oh, absolutely. Totally agree. I, I think, okay, you, know, you got to say why. 30 <laughs> seconds, why? Well, I think, you know, the, the banking industry anyway now has been completely transformed. So certainly investment banking over the last few years, it's totally dominated by the regulatory environment around yeah. the world. So, you know, this is not the, the, the sort of, you know, the, the environment that I used to work in, you know, in the, over the last 10, 20 years. Okay, we'll bring you back and have a longer discussion on that. Thanks, Peter. We went too long anyway, uh, as we always do. Uh, when you're here sitting right next to me, it's, it's so delicious. Peter Lewis, Peter Lewis Consulting. Joining us here live on Money for Nothing. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. China-related internet and online gaming stocks have emerged as major investment themes here in recent days. Tencent shares have risen sharply over the past year as the company appears set to become one of China's national champions. Smaller companies also on the rise, uh, particularly uh, if they have some kind of tie-up with a large partner like Tencent or Alibaba. For example, Singaporean company I Got Games, IGG, shot up earlier this month on news of a cooperation agreement with Tencent. Logistics operator China the South City jumped last week on news that Tencent had bought a 10% stake. And we are joined for a discussion on this now by Frederick Ockvist, who's a founder of China RAI. Good morning, Frederick. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, nice to have you on the program. Uh, big players, Tencent and Alibaba, I guess, but lots of, of uh, young, up-and-coming players like Boya and Foragame. And uh, how do those smaller companies look to you? The smaller companies look quite interesting. They're coming into um, a bit of a transitional phase in Chinese internet as well. So there might be um, some good opportunities for them there. And we're expecting quite a few, or I am at least, quite a few of them to um, come into the market and IPO this coming year now. So, so what is the new phase, that they are uh, several of them going public? Well, several of them are going public, and also you have a, a switch now from, um, especially in the commerce uh, market from what I would deem uh, e-commerce to more mobile commerce. And this is also something that's worried Alibaba, uh, as Tencent seems to have a very, very strong position in mobile commerce due to uh, Weixin uh, or WeChat in English. Um, who They just have, I mean, the position that they have, the amount of uses and active uses they have in China, the leverage that that gives you for mobile commerce is absolutely huge. You also see this with how they're tying up some of the new investments into the uh, the existing app. For instance, they have a big investment in uh, a taxi calling app called uh, Didi Dasha, and that's getting Tencent uh, or WeChat in uh, integration now immediately almost. 
Yes. Uh, so uh, they're adding on a lot of new features. Yes, uh, Tencent just seems to be a monster. And now that uh, it seems to want to move in on e-commerce, uh, it, it does portend a, a very large battle between Alibaba and, and Tencent. And, of course, we'll get a really interesting look at valuation when Alibaba goes public. Um, can you shed any light on when that happens and where? <laughs> well, it, it was supposed to be the great IPO of uh, 2013, and uh, I think we've sort of just pushed that into the great IPO 2014. It's, it's hard to say. What does seem to be the case, however, is that it will go in Hong Kong. Because if it wanted to go in the U.S., I think they would have already had the opportunity for that. Yes, well, we've so got a review, seems- a review underway here of listing procedures, mm. and uh, they've been asking for a big change, which uh, I guess that in itself will be really quite interesting to see whether or not uh, the players here, um, you know, the Hong Kong Exchange and the SFC allow, um, you know, dual structure uh, and all that. Um, is, is e-commerce the really big prize? Is that, are they all becoming, um, you know, Amazons, uh, that sort of thing? Now, part of this is uh, e-commerce. Part of it is also the new fields that they're going into. That is, is um, also this online finance. Oh yes, so you have Alibaba yes. with Yubao, um, Tencent has Tenpay for the online payments, but also now investment vehicles. And this has been a huge shift. Um, another great creator of value seems to be M&A activity, where almost every deal in the M&A sphere, especially from the big guys. So um, Alibaba, Tencent, and uh, Baidu have been greeted very, very positively by the markets. Yes. Um, and what about social uh, networks uh, and, and, and gaming through that? Uh, is that also uh, becoming more popular? It's it certainly... Um, online games has been a huge creator of almost, I think, in China more than anywhere else, of big internet companies. You have Tencent is at the base, a gaming company. The same is true for NetEase, which is where they really make their money. Um, Now, the online social media is an interesting space in China because it's so regulated and there's so many little hurdles to jump to get in, so it actually creates a high barrier of entry for many people. Um, I mean, there really are two big players. It's Tencent with WeChat and it's Sina with Weibo. Now, Tencent seems to be able to monetize a little bit better, and I think the monetization potential for WeChat looks better, especially for mobile payments, yeah. than Sina's um, uh, Weibo. Okay, Fred. Okay, Frederick, um, out of time, but uh, very interesting uh, analysis and commentary. And uh, we'll certainly uh, like to talk to you again uh, uh, down the road in a, in a month or two. So thanks very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. That's Frederick Ockvist, who's founder of China RAI. Well, are higher density cities a cure for the loneliness and isolation that come with the long commutes of suburban living? Urban planners in North America and Europe are said to be increasingly looking to build up instead of out. And we've got Charles Montgomery, author of Happy City, on the line for a little discussion about uh, this new way of thinking about urban planning. Mr. Montgomery, good morning. 
Good morning. Nice yeah. to talk to you. Well, good day to you, I guess. Uh, yes, I... I I, I share uh, a lot of um, probably what uh, you were chewing over uh, when you wrote this book, uh, and that is that in some ways, um, you know, people are sick of the suburbs and the long commutes and want to move back to the cities. Well, that is true in some cases. I think more generally, um, most of us aren't aware of the effect that the city has on our lives. What we do know is that the uh, one of the strongest correlates with uh, bad um, life satisfaction ratings is the long commute. In other words, the longer your commute, the less happy you are with your entire life, even though you might not even realize it, even though you might choose to continue to live far away from work. That's very interesting. Uh, there's also a lot more fun things to do in the, uh, in the city, and you don't have to mow the lawn. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I think the idea is that uh, cities are coming around to the fact that the, there is value in dense uh, connected and livable, walkable, especially walkable spaces. There's value in lifestyle, in health, and in economics. You know, it just used to be the reverse, uh, that people kind of thought cities were decaying and they moved out to, to the leafy suburbs and they had more space and big houses and gardens and all of that. Uh, and I'm sure that's still an attractive um, move for some people. But I guess what you're saying is that people are finding lots of reasons to move back in and the cities have become a lot safer than they used to be. Well, absolutely. And I think, again, there's a difference between our perceptions of the way the city works and the way it actually works. There was a time, particularly in North American Europe, when cities were toxic. Moving out was a good idea. That's changed now. Industries in the city center are no longer toxic. And the truth is, um, when you look at crime and the potential of being killed by a stranger, you're much more likely to die at the hands of a stranger if you live on the urban edge. And that's because those strangers might just happen to be driving cars. And, and what are some of the other attractive options for people? And, and what are the city planners doing to make it more attractive for those people to, you know, to follow this trend moving back? Well, it's funny. I mean, uh, you can look out your window in Hong Kong and you can see some of the inspiration that's being uh, exported around the world. Um, I'm talking to you from Vancouver, Canada, and we adopted uh, the uh, one model from Hong Kong, which is to have a skinny tower on top of a long podium with lots of stores, lots of activity down on the street. I have to say, though, that um, we scaled that model down because the truth is the scale of building in Hong Kong, it can be unfriendly, it can be alienating. The sad news is, uh, although it's better for us to live closer together, people who live in residential towers are the most likely to say they um, feel both crowded and lonely at the very same time. So on the one hand, you've got more bonding opportunities, but you've got some loneliness if you're on the 28th floor of a building and uh, you don't know your neighbors. Yeah, the secret is in um, having the ability to control your interactions with strangers. So when you're on the exurban edge, you're commuting for hours on, hours on end, and you don't have the opportunity to see other people. When you live in the very hyper-dense environment in a tower, you may have, um, uh, it may be hard to retreat from your neighbors, so then you actually do, um, you back away. You back away and you don't engage with each other. I think there are lessons uh, here for, for Hong Kong, but particularly for, for uh, cities in, in the Chinese mainland. I mean, we see what um, endless uh, traffic jams on these highways they built are doing to lifestyles on the mainland. Does it mean more parks and playgrounds uh, in cities going forward? Is that what city planners are also looking at? Well, absolutely. One thing we, uh, we realized, and I did some experiments in New York City with the Guggenheim Museum, and we, we found it, it, what other experimenters have found, which is that even 
small access to small um, uh, amounts of greenery of nature. They don't just make you feel better. They just don't don't just make you feel calmer. And they do those things. They also have this altruistic effect. They make us like other people more. So even small doses are good for us. Okay, Charles, uh, thank you very much for joining us here on uh, Radio 3 in Hong Kong. I know you're a former Hong Kong resident now in Vancouver, and maybe one day we'll get you back. Thanks. (laughs) I'd enjoy that. Thank you. Charles Montgomery, author of Happy City, a New York Times book review uh, in, uh, in this month, in January of 2014, on that book again, Happy City, if you're interested. This is Money for Nothing at 8.30. Markets a little bit higher in Japan. The Nikkei is up 146 points. Seoul is slightly lower. And uh, looking at Australia, it's also just uh, one point down for the day. Weather in Hong Kong expected fine and very dry. Cool conditions. And at night, maximum temperature will be just 17 degrees today. That was what it was supposed to be yesterday. And then it heated up a lot more than that. The outlook for the next few days, fine and dry with cool mornings. Great news for Radio 3 is Hugh Chiffin is back on Backchat, and Backchat comes up right after the news. The latest news summary with Samantha Butler. The UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon has withdrawn the invitation for Iran to attend this week's Syrian peace conference in Switzerland. A spokesman said Mr. Ban had acted because Iran had refused to give a public commitment that it understood and supported moves to install a transitional government in Syria, despite Mr. Ban receiving private assurances that it would do so. The main Syrian opposition bloc, the National Coalition, had threatened to stay away unless Iran committed publicly to a transitional government. A spokesman for the Syrian Syrian opposition, Monza Akbik, said it would now attend. It's the right thing to do. This is exactly what was agreed, actually.